last week we, we went over the words where Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And we talked about our incredible need for forgiveness, probably far more than we realize we need forgiveness. And when we really understand how much we need forgiveness, it changes how we see God and it changes how we respond to God. And when we really, really see how much our friends, our co-workers in the world need forgiveness, it changes how we, how we interact with them and our sense of urgency with our friends. Now this second lesson takes from the second statement of Jesus is from Luke 23 verse 43 the statement that Jesus said truly I tell you today you will be with me in paradise he was speaking to one of the two criminals that was hanging on the cross with him a little little side note on this many of us or used to calling him the thief on the cross. When I was going back over my notes, even this morning, I noticed everywhere I wrote in the notes, I wrote thief on the cross. Not a big deal. The word's not thief. He probably wasn't a thief. Okay, they were criminal. The word in the Greek just means outlaw, evildoer. And they didn't, Romans didn't crucify thieves because crucifixion was a pretty expensive endeavor. You had to have guards, you had to have people do it. It took a long time. Somebody's a thief, they're either going to beat them, or if they're a repeat offender, they're just going to lop their head off, or they're going to kill them and be done with them. They reserved crucifixion for really, really bad things if they wanted to make an example publicly. More than likely, and this is what I think, these two guys with Jesus were associates uh, of Barabbas, who were also guilty of insurrection or revolution against the Roman Empire. And they're crucifying them along with Jesus, who, incident, that's basically what he was accused of. Called himself a king, going to be a king. And that's how Rome justified crucifying him, well, because he's setting himself up against Rome, and you can't do that. Be that as it may, one of these two criminals on the cross, hanging there with Jesus, this is the one that he, he spoke these words to. Uh, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, I looked over this, and I'm studying this out. And part of what I do when I'm preparing a lesson, I read other people's lessons on this subject. And I've read through eight or nine of them. And I, I, I came up, I, people are talking about a lot of different things. A lot of people will use this statement, this verse, to say, this is how you get saved. And certainly, it's how this guy got saved. I mean, this criminal on the cross, he didn't go to church. He didn't pray. He didn't get baptized. He never said the sinner's prayer. Of course, nobody else in the Bible did either, but he didn't do that. So, so, but, you know, do we really need to look at him as a pattern for how to get saved? See, I don't think it's wise to do that. Jesus had the authority on earth to save whoever he wanted to. In uh, three verses, three times this story is told in Matthew 9, Mark 2, and Luke 5, Jesus tells the story, or the story is told about Jesus, how he heals a guy that's, that's, that's lame. And before he does it, though, he says, your sins are forgiven. And everybody gets all worked up and says, whoa, whoa, what in the, who, who is this who says he can forgive sins? And Jesus goes, oh yeah, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? I mean, obviously, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because you can't really verify, right? Did it happen or not? 
They get up and walk. It's either going to happen or it's not going to happen. So Jesus says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So I'll tell you what, you get up and walk, and he does. But Jesus shows us he'll save whoever he wants to and do, do whatever he wants to. So again, I don't think I want to see the criminal on the cross as, as a pattern of how to be saved. I don't see that as a pattern like the man who was lame as a pattern on how to be saved. Now here's the deal. If Jesus comes to you today in person and says, today you will be with me in paradise, then I believe you ought to go with that. Go with it. That's awesome. But if not, then maybe you're like the rest of us and we need to do it the way the way they did it in the Bible. And that's kind of the, 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 the tack I'm going to take. Now, some take this verse. It's, it's strange. Today I'll be with you in paradise to criticize Jesus and to criticize the Bible. Because Jesus said, today I will be with you in paradise. But he couldn't have been with them in paradise because he was buried for three days. He wasn't risen for three days. He wasn't today with them in paradise. He was in the grave for three days. Therefore, the Bible's wrong. Reject the whole thing. I'm going, you're mental. You don't even understand. His body can be in the grave for three days and his spirit's not there. He could still be, he could be both. Anyway. I didn't want us to talk about either one of those things. And what I want to talk about, how this story struck me, nobody else ever brought up. And I thought, okay, I'm weird. Um, I prefer eccentric. But I've noticed that I don't make enough money to be called eccentric. So when you're poor, and you're just weird. But when I read this passage, I see a story. When I, see, when I read this story of Jesus on the cross and his interaction with these guys, what I see is a story about opportunity. Two opportunities, one seized and one lost. Now let's look at the whole story again, not just that one verse. We're going to pick it up here. Jesus has already been crucified. He's on the cross. Verse Luke 23, verse 35. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him, and they said, hey, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and they mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and they said, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Uh, there was a, a written notice above him which did read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. He said, Don't you fear God? He said, since you're under the same sentence, we're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man's done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Three men crucified. Three men facing imminent and certain death. Three men facing a choice. Now yeah, Jesus had a choice. We just sang about this. In Matthew 26, when Jesus was arrested, his, 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 his uh, disciples were defending him and trying to fight off the people that were coming for him. And he told them to stop. He says, don't you know if I wanted to, I could call 
God and he'd send 10,000 angels to come defend me. But like the song we just sang, we just celebrated the fact that he said, no, I'm not going to do that though. I'm going to choose to obey God. I'm going to choose to sacrifice myself. As the song said, he died alone for you and me. Then there's criminal number one. He wisely chose this moment to mock Jesus. He makes this statement, save yourself and us. And this is again why I kind of think he's, he's, he was an insurrectionist. Because, well, hey, if, you're, if you really are the Messiah, that's what the Messiah was supposed to do in his mind. He was supposed to overthrow Rome. So he goes, if you're the Messiah, come on, let's do this thing. Save yourself and us. It, it strikes me that he was only focused on his current circumstances. He was about to die. But he wasn't focused on what happened after that. He was only focused on stopping my suffering right now. Fix this, Jesus. Jesus, my genie in a bottle, grant my wish about my circumstances right now. Like many, we are also focused on the here and now, aren't we? We're so more focused on Jesus save me from my current problem versus thinking about my salvation. Now, criminal number two, interestingly enough, he started out mocking Jesus. If you read in Matthew 27, that account of the crucifixion, and if you read in Mark 15 account of the crucifixion, it'll tell you that both of them were joining in with everybody mocking Jesus. But then something happened. Something changed this guy. Then he realized, you know, maybe not. Now, he reached out to Jesus and he said, Jesus... Remember me. What changed him? I don't know. I mean, nothing like facing imminent certain death <laughs> to humble you out and enlighten people. Maybe he heard Jesus say the words, Father, forgive them. And that struck him. And he just said, wow, this guy really is something special. Like the Roman soldier who said, surely this man was the son of God. Because he saw the way he died. Maybe, maybe that was... What happened to the crowd? I, I, I don't really know. It doesn't really matter what changed him. What matters is, is he reached out to Jesus in time. Time is interesting, isn't it? We all assume we got a lot of it. I mean, we got our teens here, and our campus here, young adults, you know. I got plenty of time. My whole, you heard that, I got my whole life ahead of me. Even if you're like me, we were joking around at the fellowship break when you said, go meet some old faces. I said, yeah, here's one right here. But even at my age, when I realize I'm closer to the end than I am to the beginning, I still assume I got a lot of time left. I still make that assumption. But what God says about time, he says he's got a different perspective and he encourages us to have a different perspective. One of them is pointed out by uh, James in the book of James. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, it says, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or to that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. We could change that up if we wanted to. We could say, listen, you who say, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to get this degree, and then I'm going to go get this job, and then I'm going to buy a house, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'll do it. Whatever. Verse 14, he says, what? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. 
What is your life? It's, you're a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, I'm going to live and do this or that. Basically, he's saying, you've got to be mindful of God in everything you do. As it is, you boast. Your boasting is, is, is in your arrogant schemes. All, <laughs> my plans, God, he calls arrogant schemes. Anytime I'm making these plans without God in mind, I guess that's what he calls it. He says, all such boasting is evil. And Paul reminds us, that there, he was reminding the church in Thessalonica, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we can read it. Verses 2 and 3, he says, the day of the Lord's going to come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, basically they're saying, I got plenty of time, everything's good, everything's nice. Destruction will come on them suddenly like the pains of a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. And when I think about this, I realize in a lot of ways, we're a lot like these two criminals. Our death is inevitable and certain. That's a fun part, isn't it? But it is. Now, it might not be as, you know, eminent as, as, as these guys on the cross. They got hours left. But it's inevitable. In Hebrews 9, 27, it says, look, people are destined to die. After that, to face the judgment. Everybody, everybody in this room, everybody listening online, Everybody who chose not to come and worship God today, everybody who believes, everybody who doesn't believe, everybody. And number two, just like those guys on the cross, we have time to make a choice about Jesus. Now their time was limited, admittedly. They had to do it, hurry up. Ours may be longer, maybe much longer. Maybe not. But the point is the same. What will your choice be? What will that choice be? Now, criminal one, his choice was to mock Jesus. Not the wisest of decisions. Now, we might say, I'd never do that. Come on now. I ain't going to sit there and make fun of Jesus. Well, I, I agree. I, I believe maybe we wouldn't in such an overt way. Such a, 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 a brash, open way. But saying, I believe in Jesus, I, I love Jesus, but I'm really not living for him. I'm not ready yet to submit to him being the Lord of my life. Saying, I believe in Jesus, but not obeying Jesus is really mocking who he is. It's mocking his lordship. To not take advantage and to, and to respect the price that was paid for us and for that sin is mocking Jesus. We make a choice like that. Could be like criminal number two. Take advantage of right now. <laughs> I like the way he just right now. I know that there's those in here who are studying the Bible. You've been going through different things. And my question is, what are you waiting for? You're not promised tomorrow. The people studying with you should not be trying to talk you into when can we get together the next time. You should be the one going, what, what, 
What do I need to know? Show me now. Hurry up right now. What are we waiting for? Now that verse I just read a minute ago, Hebrews 9. You know, it talked about appointed for once to die and after that the judgment. That actually is not the whole sentence. That stops in the middle of a sentence. We need to finish that thought. So back in Hebrews 9. 27 and 28 it says just as people who destined to die once and after that to face the judgment so christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many he appeared a second time and he will appear i'm sorry a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him my question is is are you waiting for jesus now, not the waiting like, okay, I, I got surgery and I'm waiting for the nurse to come get me to take me into surgery. Not that kind of waiting. When I look this up in, again, the, the Greek, it is a type that's eager anticipation. This is like the, come on, I can't wait anymore. I'm ready. Let's go. I'm waiting. I'm ready. Let's do this. It's kind of like, you know, uh, Cody, when he got married, you know, he's like, come on, let's go. I'm waiting. You know, when is it time for the wedding to start? That's the kind of, he says, that's who Jesus to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him who are saying, I want Jesus to return right now. Right now. Or I'm ready to die right now. Either way, I'm ready. Let's go. Is that where I am? Or do you hope he doesn't come today? Do you hope... Maybe you got a little more time to get ready. Now the truth is, he may not come today. You may go today. But chances are, neither will happen. I mean, statistically speaking, we'll all make it through next week. Okay? Statistically speaking. But that's not the point. See, I don't want to be the guy that tries to wait till the very last minute and then jump on the Jesus bandwagon right before I die. Now, amen, it's great for that criminal on the cross, and that was his opportunity, and I praise God for that. And, but I don't want to be the guy that tries to, you know, plan it out that way for me. Because Jesus deserves better. Jesus deserves more than the... Let me sow my wild oats and live my life, and then I'll get serious. Let me do this, this. Let me finish school. I got a lot of studying to do. I got a lot of work to do. Then I'll do it. Jesus deserves better than that. He died for me. He died for you. And yes, he died to save you, but he also died so that you would live for him. That kind of love should motivate me. Whether I'm going to die in a few hours like that criminal on the cross or whether I live another 30 years. I still want to make that choice right now. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talking about why he does what he does. Why he lives the life he lives. In chapter 5 there, verses 14 and 15, he says, Christ's love compels us. Because I'm convinced that one died for all. Therefore, we've all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him 
who died for them. He didn't say Jesus died for you to save you from your sins. Now that's true. Other passages point that out. But Paul's not pointing that out here. He's saying he died so that you would live for him. Not that we would live for ourselves until selfishly at the last moment try to, okay, Jesus, I'm ready. I'm going to be for you. Compelled by what Jesus did for me. What he did for you. He died to sin so that you can die to sin. He died so that you can live. And I pray that we all get to live long, healthy, and fruitful lives for Him. So I ask again, what will your choice be? Criminal number one, mock Jesus. Mocking by not taking it seriously. Mocking Him by putting it off. Criminal number two, call out to Jesus. So I ask, what will your choice be? And then I also ask, what are you waiting for? You can hear the same answer that criminal number two heard. Okay, one very close to it. Okay? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Look at Ephesians chapter one. This is such a cool verse. Ephesians one, verses 13 and 14. Paul's talking to the disciples in Ephesus, he's talking to the Christians. He says, and you also were included in Christ. Okay, Jesus said, you will be with me. Okay, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to his praise and glory. He's saying, all right, right here, he said, you're included in Christ. You will be with me. When you heard the message, the gospel of your salvation, and then when you responded to that message, he says, you were marked with the Holy Spirit. I don't understand how all of this works exactly. It's kind of like he says, like, he uses this word like a seal, guaranteeing. An ironclad 100% results. If you've got that seal guaranteeing, then at the end of the time when God's reconciling everything unto Him, you get to be with Him in paradise. Because you got the guarantee. You got the seal. You will be with Him in paradise. And you can have that seal today. Again, some of us are studying the Bible and I'm saying, what are you waiting for? Used to, there was a time it would take people four, five, six weeks to study the Bible. And I'm going, we're changing all of that because we're realizing that's really not biblical. Not what we want to be. But sometimes I ask, what are we waiting for? You can get the guarantee today. You can be like that criminal on the cross. And Jesus can say, Okay, today you won't be with me in paradise, but today you get the seal. You get the guarantee. So that when you do die, you're all set. You get to be with me in paradise. Why would I put that off? Jesus said several things on the cross. Next Sunday, we're going to look at Jesus as he said the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we'll look at what what he could have meant by saying that. But I wonder, do we want him to say those words to us? 
Do we want him to say, Tracy, why did you forsake me? You could have been with me in paradise, man. See, I don't want Jesus to say those words to me. I want Jesus to say, today, you get to be with me in paradise. Which will it be? I want to encourage you, today, make sure Jesus doesn't say, why have you forsaken me? But he says, today, not Monday, not Wednesday, not Friday, not next week, today, you will be with me in paradise. Amen.